We are in the second week of a new message series for Lent, making sense of life, not making sense. If ever we offered a message series that perfectly fits the time we find ourselves in, this is it. It's a series that makes complete sense for a time that makes no sense. And with all the bad news coming our way every day, please consider who you can invite to join us here on our Ridgely Road campus or online for this series for the next six weeks. And who could benefit from our book, Seriously God, which is a companion to this series going deeper in the same material that we're hearing week after week here in church. I've been so impressed by so many people who have told me they've shared this book with friends and family who are facing challenges, who are not doing well currently, and the help and the hope that it's given to them. And that makes me glad because that's exactly why we wrote the book. The book is on sale today in our cafe at a deep discount. It's basically at cost. Nobody's making any money on this. We want you and your friends and family to be able to get your hands on this book. And I will be signing books after Mass in the cafe. Last week, we introduced three principles to keep in mind throughout this series. First principle to keep in mind, it makes sense that God doesn't make sense. If there's an all-powerful, all-knowing being, then of course he would not always think as we think and act as we act. It just makes sense. Second principle, when God doesn't make sense, it can be an opportunity to grow in our understanding of God. Because God has revealed himself to us through Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. He's told us a lot about himself, and we can always grow in our understanding. Third principle, please don't confuse God not making sense with life not making sense. Today we're going to look at just one way God doesn't make sense, and it's probably the most common way that we experience most often. What about all those times when God says no? When God says no. For those of you who are back to church for the first time in a long time, or maybe you walked away and stayed away from church because it seemed like that was all God ever said. All you ever heard was no. No, you can't. No, you don't. No, no, no. Your whole experience of God, religion, and church was all about what was prohibited, what was forbidden. Maybe you wouldn't say it this way, but you came to think of God as a kind of cosmic cop who wanted to make sure you didn't enjoy life. God was just a great big obstacle to your fun and freedom. And so the first chance you had, you got as far away from church, religion, and God as fast as you could. Or maybe for you, you lost interest in church world because the church people you knew weren't very convincing representatives of an all-loving Heavenly Father. Far from it. The Christians you knew 
seemed to be, to be defined by not so much what they were for as what and who they were against. No doubt about it, there are some no's in the scripture for sure. There are things that we're told are just off limits that the world, meanwhile, says are just fine. However, those no's generally fall into one of three categories, and these three categories can help us appreciate their logic. We see this all played out in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, a traditional reading for the first Sunday of Lent. And there we read this. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus begins his public ministry with his baptism in the Jordan by John, after which he undertakes a deeply sacrificial exercise during which he faced temptation. And this temptation, and Jesus' response to it, is profoundly important for an understanding of why God says no, of the heart behind his no. It's actually three temptations, three distinct but closely related temptations made, Scripture tells us, by the devil. The devil. You may not believe in the devil, which I understand. I do. I do because Jesus told us about the devil. He told us he's real, and that's good enough for me, but you might not believe in the devil, and even if you don't, I'm sure we can all agree on the reality of evil. The reality of evil. The tragedy unfolding this week in the Ukraine is an unmistakable display of the reality of evil unleashed in full force. And that such displays can be so savage and so successful, for me, argues powerfully for a personification, a being, an agent, ultimately behind it all. And to hold otherwise, for me, is to leave ourselves simply confused by evil's manifestation and, frankly, more vulnerable to it. It's been said by others, the greatest trick the devil ever pulls is to convince us he doesn't exist. Whether you believe in the devil or not, we've all experienced temptation. We've all had the experience of being tempted to do something we know is wrong. And please be clear, there's no sin in temptation. Everyone experiences it. Nor does temptation suggest in any way that you're outside of God's will, not at all. In fact, temptation often comes to us precisely when we're where God wants us to be doing what God wants us to do. That was Jesus' experience. Take a look at what happened to him. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus chose to make himself needy 
by becoming a human being. He chose to face the same temptations of the flesh we face. And specifically, the temptation is to make our needs, our appetites, our desires, our highest priority in life. To try to meet those needs as our number one goal. When we do, they can develop into addictions, obsessions, compulsive behavior. Jesus teaches us to say no to some things sometimes in order to be able to say yes to other things, better things, and other times. And so he responds in this way. It is written, one does not live by bread alone. Here, he is quoting scripture. He's quoting Deuteronomy, where we can read, man does not live by bread alone, but what does he live by? The word of God. The word of God. Beyond our physical needs, we need to be nourished by the Word of God. That's the other thing, the better thing behind that no. Sometimes God tells us to say no to our physical needs because that sacrifice can better equip us to meet our deeper need for for Him. Thus, for instance, the value of fasting during Lent. Anyway, the first temptation leads to a second one. Then he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. The devil said to him, I shall give to you all this authority and glory, for it has been handed over to me, that I may give it to whomever I wish. All this will be yours if you will worship me. The second temptation might seem like a strange one, a temptation to devil worship. Not much of a temptation, right? I mean, I can honestly say I have never experienced that particular temptation, truly. And my guess is that if you had to list your top 10 temptations, it wouldn't make your list either, which is really good. Of course, the real temptation is actually nothing as dramatic or unlikely as that. It's something much more commonplace and much more tempting. Not worshiping evil, just compromising with it a little. Notice what the devil says. He talks about authority. What's he talking about? Well, God gave our first parents authority, authority over creation, to care for it and cultivate it. We read about that in the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation, they ceded that authority to the evil one. And as a result, Scripture says, now evil has and holds authority over this world. The temptation is to bow before this authority because... Well, because it's a convenient thing to do, or it's an expedient thing to do, or it's the easy thing to do, overlook what I value. Turn a blind eye to what I know to be right and true. Just this once, just this time, just a little, just because there's something in it for me that is otherwise out of my reach. That's the lie we buy. 
The truth is that once we compromise with evil, it sets us on a slippery slope that leads to more and more of the same, more and greater compromises. And if left unchecked, that one-time compromise becomes our usual way of acting, our habitual way of life. We learn to live engaged with evil, going so far as to even become enslaved by it, thereby losing our freedom. And so Jesus answers in an uncompromising way, worship only God, serve God alone. Safeguarding our freedom is the other thing, the better thing behind that uncompromising no to evil. All of which finally and at last leads to another temptation, a third temptation. And that one goes like this. Then he led him to Jerusalem and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And with their hands, they will support you lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. This is such an interesting passage in Scripture where they're both quoting Scripture to each other. You know, just as I have never had the temptation to worship the devil, I have never ever had the temptation to throw myself off a tall building. Actually, just the scene itself is uncomfortable for me because I have an extreme fear of heights. But I don't imagine it's much of a temptation for any of us, for sure. Yet here again, this is a temptation to something much more common and much more attractive to us. Jesus came to win humanity back for God to bring us into a living relationship with the loving Lord. To do that, he had to change minds and win hearts. It was a mission that would meet with resistance and hostility and ultimately lead to the cross. If, however, he were to perform some kind of spectacular stunt to amaze and dazzle the crowd, so the argument went. He could be an instant rock star and avoid the pain and suffering of his mission, avoid the cross. This temptation was a temptation to avoid the cross, and it's the biggest temptation of all. Of course, we all want to avoid pain and suffering and sacrifice when we can, and of course, we want everyone to like us, but we cannot, we dare not allow any of that to get in the way of who we are and what God has shaped us to be and called us to do. The other thing, the better thing behind this no is refusing to give up on the best version of us that God has in mind for us. So as we together begin this season of Lent, here's some homework for the week ahead. First, Check out our website today and take a look at the various ways, all the ways that you can get the most out of this Lenten season here at Nativity. 
Second, read chapter one of Seriously God in preparation for discussion with your small group this week. Third, identify which of those three temptations we'll call them comfort, compromise, and lack of conviction. Comfort, compromise, and lack of conviction. Which of the three is the biggest one for you, the most consistent temptation that you face? Pray for the grace to accept the no God says to that temptation. And look for the logic, look for the love behind that no. Because it turns out, it's never just about what God wants to keep from us. It's always all about what God wants for us.